It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Coming to you on Monday, August 13th. Uh, after an LA Galaxy 2-2 draw with Minnesota United, and let's see how many times I can call it a loss on this show. Uh, certainly talking to the players afterwards, something we'll get into. Uh, they, they said it felt like a loss, so if I screw it up, that'll be the reason why, but the LA Galaxy getting ready for a very quick turnaround and a very rare Tuesday night game, uh, Tuesday night MLS game as well, not some Champions League game, not some US Open Cup game, but an MLS game on Tuesday night against the Colorado Rapids, a rematch of the just 10 days ago. A lot of stuff to cover, a lot of things to get into, but of course, before we get to any of that, let's welcome back uh, the panda himself, uh, Mr. Kevin Baxter. Kevin, uh, how you doing, buddy? All right, how are you? You know, it did feel like a loss. It did feel like a loss because they gave up a lead twice, and now they've dropped four points in the last two games against teams that they should have beaten easily. Yeah, easily should have beaten. I mean... You know, that's the whole thing, though. You go back and you, you talk about the, the loss to Colorado. Um, you talk about the, the draw with Minnesota. You can go back even, Kevin, to San Jose uh, and the draw to San Jose in San Jose and then coming home and drawing D.C. United, who wasn't the same energetic D.C. United that we've seen in the last couple of games. Um, so there's been a lot. I mean, you could, you could make an argument, Kevin, that the Galaxy should be eight points higher than they currently are. And imagine what those eight points would do for the Galaxy right now, uh, just in terms of standings and in terms of confidence and making it towards, to the playoffs. Well, if, you, you know, if you're going to say eight points, that, that would put them in first place. I don't know if they're a first-place team, but I think they sh- certainly could be a second-place team at this point. Um, there's just been points out there that, that they did not pick up, and that's why I think this rematch with Colorado looms really large. Ziggy said today he wants 15 points from the last – 10 games. I think that's doable, but it's not doable if they keep giving points up. Um, this Colorado game is important because after that they go to Seattle, always a tough place to play, and the Sounders are playing much better now. Then they have El Trafico 3 when they get back. So yep. the rest of August is a little bit tough. Yeah, it's very tough. Um, none of these games are easy, as a matter of fact, and and you just you keep looking at it. Like you said, LAFC, you go at Real Salt Lake, you go at Toronto, who's now starting to play better. Uh, you have home to Seattle. You have Seattle away coming up, and Seattle's winners, I think, of their last five. Uh, so they're playing really well. And then you have Seattle at home on September 23rd, uh, home to Vancouver, away to Sporting Kansas City, away to Minnesota, and home to Houston. I mean, listen, 10 games left in the 2018 regular season, Kevin. The Galaxy and Siggy Schmidt, I think, are, are convinced that if they can average 1.5 points per game, they'll find themselves in a playoff position. But again, how can you predict, if you look through the rest of the schedule, how can you predict wins on some of these when they can't beat lowly teams like Minnesota and Colorado? Well, one of the things, it's, this has been a hallmark of Galaxy teams. Back through the Bruce Arena years, that through, through some of the really good Bruce Arena years, they always seem to play to their competi- uh, level of their competition, meaning if they're playing a really good team, they play outstanding game. If they're playing a poor team, they tend to play down to that level. And I think, I, and I don't know what that is, whether they relax, whether they're, they feel overconfident, whether they overlook the easy team, you know, are they already looking ahead to El Trafico? I doubt it. But, I mean, how else do you explain it? They'll, they'll look fantastic one week and the same 11 will go out and, and just not perform the next week because they're playing against a, a lesser opponent. 
Yeah, well, the LA Galaxy, let's uh, focus a little bit on this 2-2 draw with Minnesota. Uh, the LA Galaxy get the 2-2 draw, uh, as you said, leads twice in this game. Goals from Ramon Alessandrini, who went off injured in the first half, uh, and Sebastian Legette, who was given a red carpet welcome into the penalty box uh, for the, his uh, first goal since scoring against LAFC back on 331. So a, a little bit of a gap there with Sebastian Legette, and certainly his celebration afterwards uh, tempered a bit by the Galaxy's inability to stop teams from scoring goals. Uh, you know, Minnesota, I thought, played not that well, especially not in the first half. And uh, if you talk with everybody, uh, including the players or uh, or Siggy Schmidt, they talk about the first half and how dominant the Galaxy were. But you go back and you look at this and you know, you can say, hey, the Galaxy probably should have been up, you know, maybe three to nothing or four to nothing in the first half, but they weren't. They were up one nothing. Um, and the the substitutions of, of Ramon Alessandrini and Giovanni Dos Santos, who both go down in this, really have a huge effect on the rest of this game. Uh, the Galaxy were not the same team in the second half. They certainly looked tired. Um, they were a team that was uh, struggling to find the creativity and the flow that they had in the in that first half. And you know, I think it's pretty interesting to see that the Galaxy have done. Uh, a lot better, in my opinion, with Giovanni Dos Santos on the field recently since the World Cup break uh, coming back. Uh, Giovanni Dos Santos has been a spark and a dangerous player in that midfield attacking position that they put him right underneath Kamara and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And him not being there in the second half and Legette not playing that same position, really uh, dropping more out and out to the wides, for me was really the difference in the second half. Um, I thought that the Galaxy looked played one of their better halves of the season against Minnesota and looked like they were going to run away and dominate the game. I mean, leading at one nothing at halftime, Kevin, is what you'd expect from this team, but that's now twice in two games the Galaxy has scored first and had the lead at halftime and don't get all three points. Well, I heard you say, I just heard you say three words there that really <clears throat> were interesting to me. You said Giovanni Dos Santos. So we need to talk about that. Yes, when he's on the field, he occasionally plays a, a good game. When he is on the field, that's the important thing there. He has played 90 minutes. He's played a full game, in other words, one time since Cinco de Mayo, since May 5th. He's played two 90-minute games this season. So he's either been injured or been subbed off uh, every other game this season. Um, he he needs to be on the field to be effective. Obviously, you can't be effective if you're in the training room. And he's just shown no ability to stay on the field. And, uh, I, I mean, I think it's getting to the point now where it seems to be this hamstring problem uh, he had that problem four times last year. It's already came in and bit him a couple times this year. And I have to point out, it seems to be really good that hamstring seems to hold up whenever he's away with the Mexican national team. Never seems to be a problem. But when he's playing for the Galaxy, the hamstring seems to be a big issue. And it, it's hard not to question his, uh, uh, I want to say, dedication, devotion, whatever it is, to the team. He is the highest paid player on the team, one of the highest paid players in the league. He's a designated player. You need more than two full games out of your designated players, um, you know, especially at this time of the year when the team's trying to get back or stay in the in the playoff race. You need to get a little bit more out of your top players. And you know, yes, Gio was very effective. He almost had two goals in the first half, but he right. didn't come out for the second half. Right. And you know, you saw the result. You just talked about it. Um, you know, I, I I I can't come to any other conclusion other than to sort of question. Geo's commitment, and I and I think Ziggy is getting to the point too, where he's throwing his hands up, not sure what to do. Is is his hamstring really that bad? If it's that bad, how come the physios can't fix it? How come it was four times last year, and then it's been you know he's been able, unable to play consistently this year? Um, 
I, I'm kind of at a loss, but I, I do know that as a designated player, he needs to, to, to show a little bit more if he wants to be a team leader. And, you know, the former coaching staff, when they acquired Gio, and this Gio was a guy that the Galaxy wanted way back into the Tim Wiki days. Um, this was a guy that they had their sights on for a long time. And I know some of the former coaching staff looked at his record and the fact that he had bounced around between so many teams. And at that time, uh, the word was that they didn't think he was a winner. They questioned his commitment then, and and I think maybe they're they're being proved proven right. And we talk about uh, the trade, uh, the transfer window closing, and the galaxy, the galaxy's inability to make moves. They tried, but they were up against two things. They they didn't have any international spots, which was one thing. Uh, they didn't have any money, which was another thing. And they're paying six million dollars to Geo, and um, that's where some of that money went. Yeah. And the DP spot that goes with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the DP spot is 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 more a function of the contract, right? The fact that Giovanni Del Santos, Jonathan Del Santos, and Roman Alessandrini all have contracts through 2019. They're all locked in for the same terms. There's no flexibility there. So certainly, you know, and and by the way, the reports are, Kevin, and you know this, that the Galaxy tried to shop Giovanni Del Santos earlier this year, uh, possibly uh, possibly moving him to a Liga MX team, and nobody was biting on that. So you can see that. I'll, I'll, I'll point to this stat. This, I think, is very important, one that we brought up many, many times. Uh, Giovanni Dos Santos, out of a total of 2,160 minutes available in the Galaxy's 2018 season so far, has played 789. So 2,160, 789 is his total. That's 36.5% of the total minutes available. Now, that includes his time away uh, from the World Cup. Uh, away for the World Cup, and so you know maybe that's unfair to count those when he's away with his national team. But bottom line, as a designated player, he's played a total of 36.5 percent of the total minutes. Jonathan Dos Santos, 58 percent of the total minutes, and Roman Alessandrini, 63.3 percent of the total available minutes. So you have all three of your designated players sitting at 52.6 percent of the total minutes. That means that for uh, just a little bit less than half the total minutes. Of this 2018 season, the LA Galaxy haven't had their designated players playing. And that, if you're a team that's paying this much money for designated players and for guys who you know impact, and Siggy said it today after training, he said, you know, you really can't replace designated players. Whenever they go down, these are guys who should impact your team. Um, So there's no replacing them, but they do have guys who are ready to fill in for them. Uh, But if you have those designated players not playing... That's that's a big mark. You go to guys like Ola Kamara and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, uh, 82.9% for Ola Kamara and 70.5% for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So <laughs> you look at those things and, and compare them with the three designated players and especially Giovanni Dos Santos, and you can understand the question marks that should be asked right now of the LA Galaxy and Giovanni Dos Santos. Well, and you mentioned Zlatan, too. He was the one guy you, you – the team was a little bit tired. Mm-hmm. They seemed to be dragging a little bit, and that's understandable given the, the intensity of the schedule now. They're, you know, they're playing a lot of games with very short rest. The one guy that I thought should have been fresher was Zlatan because he had the week off. He did not travel to Colorado. Uh, he was penalized for skipping the MLS All-Star game. Um, but he was not – he did not look fresh. He did not look uh, sprightly. Uh, understandably, if if the reports are true, he was suffering from a cold, a little bit of an illness, and so um, you know that might explain that. But and he's only had now what three days to bounce back to get ready for the second game with Colorado, who, which uh, who again he didn't face when they played in in Colorado. Um, still chasing those five that 500 goals, right. uh, Mark becoming the third. He would become the third active player with 500 goals behind Cristiano Ronaldo and and Leo Messi. I don't think that's his aim going into this next game. I think he wants the points against Colorado. Um, 
but you know that's out there too. Another reason to come to the game on Tuesday, you might get a chance to see history. Uh, but Zlatan, hopefully, will be beyond whatever illness, whatever bug he had that appeared to be bothering him. He did not speak to the media after Saturday's game, which is highly unusual for him. He's usually uh, very cooperative, but uh, you know, dressed very quickly and left, and did not look uh, uh, to be uh, in in great health. And you know, he is 37, so. Maybe the season's uh, starting to drag a little bit on him. I think that's something that you might want to watch too. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems. I'll, I'll say this: you know, uh, the the fact that and Siggy Schmidt referenced this after the game. The fact that they had guys like Ramon Alessandrini go off injured. Uh, and by the way, Ramon Alessandrini uh, leaves the game early in the first half uh, after scoring his goal in the seventh minute. Uh, he comes off the field, and the LA Galaxy are sending him for an MRI on Monday as we're recording this show. I imagine that MRI has already happened, but as of the time of training, Siggy Schmidt did not have an update on that, and I would expect that we'll get a little bit clearer picture as, uh, as you and I both attend the game on, uh, on Tuesday night there, Kevin, so we'll know a little bit better. But uh, from the... I've seen reports from everybody, every fan who has possibly seen Roman Alessandrini has an opinion on what it is and how serious it is, and it ranges from he was crying on the side of the field, uh, he was extremely upset, and that they were focusing on his knee, and I think most people are sort of focused on the knee right now, although it's being called a right leg injury, too. It's probably not that serious. Regardless of the fact, uh, the Galaxy are going to get an MRI and actually determine what the actual issue is. If they already have the issue um, and they think they know what it is, the MRI will confirm that. Um, I would say, you know, I don't have a good feeling on this one way or the other. Roman was already out of the locker room by the time reporters were left in. Uh, Giovanni Dos Santos, same thing. He came off at halftime with a left leg strain. Um, you know, that's that's about all we know there. And we know that both of these players did not train on Monday. Not surprising for Alessandrini, quite honestly not surprising for Giovanni Dos Santos. Being that that's the case, you would expect neither of those players to be available for Tuesday. But really, it's more long-term health and prognosis for both of those players. Uh, Roman Alessandrini is a very important important piece to the Galaxy's offense. Um, and so seeing him uh, miss any considerable time down the stretch could really hurt the LA Galaxy's playoff chances and what they're trying to do. So, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, Roman's been playing as good as anybody, but except possibly uh, with the exception of Zlatan. So he's been playing really well lately. Right. But the, And the Galaxy have not called it a knee. They have just uh, said that it was a right leg. Yes. That's as far as they've gone. But it does appear to be the knee, and that is a huge concern because he had – uh, he tore his ACL uh, in 2013 playing in France and had an operation on his right knee. He also had an operation on his left knee when he was a teenager. So the knees have been a problem, um, and and that's de- very definitely a concern. And um, he could be gone for a long time. He could be gone for the rest of the season if it's it, you know if again it is the the same problem that he had in France. Geo again, as you said, probably a short term thing, but. If it, we're being told that it's tightness, I don't have any, I haven't even heard that it's a hamstring yet. I just right. hear leg tightness. But um, he didn't train on Monday, so he's probably not going to play on Tuesday. Came out of Saturday's game early. It's too quick for him to come back. He probably, I would guess, would not go to Seattle and play on turf if he's having leg problem. So we may not see him again until the 24th, El Trafico 3. Uh, so again, you know, Gio, who hasn't played, is going to miss two more games. Uh, Roman possibly could be out for quite a bit longer. Yeah, and, and the other part about Seattle is you have to start guessing about whether or not Zlatan goes up. Now, do you change your view on Zlatan Ibrahimovic and turf knowing that you're not going to have Giovanni Dos Santos and you're not going to have Roman Alessandrini? Do you send him up to Seattle and let him play up there? I mean, those are questions the Galaxy have to start answering down the stretch. We were told that, you know, he wouldn't play regular season games on turf, Kevin. That's sort of what Siggy came out and decided. But 
if you and I are are you know playing guessing games here, understanding the Galaxy want to make the playoffs and quite honestly need to make the playoffs after having a horrible year last year, do you really want to sit your leading goal scorer on the bench? <laughs> or are you focused on 2019 and the fact that you want to make sure that uh, you know you don't injure Zlatan on turf? It's it's a question that certainly uh, is one that will be asked, and whether or not he's feeling well and his his health uh, might affect that a little bit. But I mean, in this particular game, him playing uh, again in a position that I don't love him in, Kevin. Uh, you know, Siggy Schmidt had and instructed Zlatan Ibrahimovic to drop and play deeper and to play a little bit more of a playmaker, especially with Giovanni Dos Santos out and Sebastian Legette dropping deeper as well. And you saw uh, Legette's goal came in, coming more from a right side run than anything down the center that Giovanni Dos Santos would hold. And so you, you look at how the formation changed and how the the places where you're looking for people change, and it's kind of no 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 surprise in my mind that the Galaxy suffered from creativity. They suffered from, you know, being able to open up the Minnesota defense in the second half. Maybe you can credit Minnesota for making a huge adjustment in the second half, but the Galaxy were running through Minnesota like they were standing still in the first half. Uh, and in the second half, there was really nothing outside of uh, the Sebastian Legette goal. Um, Zlatan pinging one off the, uh, off the crossbar um, was one there as well. And so, you know, those are, those are your, the, your big sort of plays in the second half. I, I don't know what to make of this Galaxy team without having Roman and without Giovanni Dos Santos. I don't know that you stay in a 3-5-2 formation that way, or I certainly don't know if you have the, the personnel that you're thinking about playing in that 3-5-2. You may get a lot more defensive with Gio and Roman Alessandrini not being able to play. And that includes possibly, Kevin, uh, getting Rolf Felcher back on the field. Yeah, he was he was in the 18, and he looks like he's ready to play. <clears throat> Ziggy said he'd like to get him on the field. He's just looking for the right opportunity. That right opportunity may have just presented itself with these two injuries. Um, talking about Zlatan and Seattle, uh, I'm kind of of two minds of this, this, uh, of, uh, of this situation. You look at it and you say, well, certainly if they don't get – all three points against Colorado, they're in a, uh, a desperate situation with the playoff race beginning to heat up. Maybe he does go to Seattle. They need him there. But the same token, that game's four days away. You know, it comes uh, really quickly after Colorado. And then they don't get a full week before they play LAFC. It's a, that's a Friday game. So you're asking Zlatan to play three games in a relatively short period, one on turf, um, which he hasn't played on and he didn't, didn't play on in Europe. He's not used to. That's a hard field. Remember, David Beckham never played there except in playoff games. Um, that might be asking a little bit too much. Yes, you you desperately need the points, but you may run the risk of then having a subpar Zalatan for the rest of the season if if he does have trouble recovering. Because, again, three games in a short period of time, the middle one on turf, um, that is not good. But you're absolutely right about the formation because, see, here's another problem. If they're without Geo for an extended period of time, and I would guess at least the next two games – well, and then being without Roman, two of their key midfielders, who takes those positions? Well, I, I could see Sebastian Legette getting some playing time. Yes. He's played in the middle before with the U.S. national team. So they could slot him into the middle, not exactly in Geo's spot, but in the middle. And then on the outside, it would have to be Boateng, would be my guess. That doesn't work in that 3-5-2 formation, I don't think. I think maybe you put Felcher back there and go with a four-man back line. We know that the four-man back line did not work in Colorado, but that might be the best answer. Just go back to a 4-4-2, maybe a 4-4-1-1, and have Ola withdrawn a little bit with a lot of up front. Maybe that's the way they approach it. But I, I don't think with missing two midfielders and two key midfielders, two DPs, 
I don't think they can play that same formation anymore. Well, if you want to, you can get way more defensive with it. You could even uh, slot Rolf Felcher on the right-hand side as a wingback, uh, uh, so sort of taking over for Alessandrini in that in that position, or Pontius on the right-hand side either. Um, either of those guys, you could do that. And then on the other side, you could leave Cole in the lineup and let him be your other wingback. So technically, you'd have five defenders in there. But you do lose some offense with that, and I think everybody understands that. I think another very serious option the Galaxy should look at it. Maybe it comes in late in the game, um, you know, against Colorado coming up on Tuesday night, or maybe it comes down the down the road a little bit, is to sit Ashley Cole and let Felcher start over there. We've talked about the unbalanced 3-5-2 with Ashley Cole being that unbalanced member and dropping back on the back line. Well, you can do the same thing and make it unbalanced on the right-hand side with Rolf Felcher and sit Ashley Cole on the bench. Now, when you do that, Kevin... You sit your your captain on the bench, but his age, the way that he's been playing, the way that the Galaxy have been taking advantage of on the outside, and Minnesota's second goal was probably a pretty good indication of that, although um, you know, it was really a fact of, uh, of Ashley Cole being caught forward and Perry Kitchen not, uh, not recovering in time. Um, you know, and I don't know if you can expect Perry Kitchen to recover in time. I don't know if you can expect Ashley Cole to cover in time, but you look at what's been happening on those outside flanks, and it does, it does make some sense that you put in a speedier Rolf Felcher instead of Ashley Cole, and I think it's the, something the Galaxy will really have to think about. Now, again, like I said, they could go really defensive like they did against Vancouver and have a true five-man back line and be more of like a 5-3-2 um, in a lot of ways and let Cole and let Felcher get forward or you can bring Felcher in and put Pontius or Boateng on the left-hand side. So I, I think there's some options there that the Galaxy can get more defensive and don't have to completely give things away. I think Felcher is as offensive as Ashley Cole can be, uh, or at least he has been, but what is his game fitness? And if you're going to be putting him into games, Kevin, as a wingback, that's the most running you could possibly be doing. Uh, you need to commit to both sides of that ball. That's tough to sort of work him back into shape on that. Well, that's a really good point about Cole because we talk about Zlatan, 37, not wanting to play on turf and not uh, you know, being physically prepared to play on turf. Ashley's an, an older guy too, um, and he's played on turf, and he is doing a lot of running. Maybe he gets the Seattle game off as well. Who, who knows? Maybe he gets Tuesday off um, coming back so quickly um, you know, from the game on Saturday. Uh, that's definitely something to look uh, toward because you need to ration his time he needs to be prepared to play in October, not just right now in the middle of August. So you're right. I mean, maybe, maybe that's where they make some of the changes as well and get Ashley off his feet a little bit um, and give him a couple games off and have him be ready for LAFC um, now that they have some defensive help back there. With Felter, the, the turf is not a problem. You're right, game fitness is, but the turf is not a problem. His injury was an upper body injury. So if he would have played on turf before, um, the injury had has no effect on whether he plays on turf now. Um, you know, for people who are wondering, the turf is just that much harder. And when you do that much running on it, a guy like Ashley Cole, um, who's very active, when you do that much running on it, it's, it, it, it feels like running on concrete or asphalt. And it takes, it takes a big toll on joints, ankles, knees, hips. And, uh, you know, a guy at Ashley Cole's age with all the miles he has on him, it, it's, it will be very tough for him to play there on, uh, on the weekend and come back against LAFC and be fresh on for a Friday game. 
Now, back to the game a little bit here. Uh, I, I want to highlight some things. One is that uh, Siggy Schmidt waited too long to bring in Ima Boateng, and uh, I would disagree with most people on this. As a matter of fact, you had a coach who had two players go down in the first half and had to burn your subs uh, that way, and so you were left with one sub for the remainder of the game. And so bringing him on in the 87th or 88th minute, whenever he finally did come onto the field, was more precautionary against any other injuries the Galaxy could have possibly had and then had to play down uh, 10 men. So it was important for them to at least scavenge that point. I know you want all three points from that, but really, after seeing the disaster that sort of occurred on the field for the Galaxy in terms of having a plan, and Siggy Schmidt said, hey, you know, I had some lineups in my head that I was going to play on Saturday and then on Tuesday and then going to the next Saturday with Seattle. I had these lineups, and he goes, and then you get two injuries in the first half and all those lineups go completely out the window. And he goes, and my sub plan goes completely out the window as well. So anything that the Galaxy wanted to do um, certainly happened, and, and you saw that a big part of their game plan was having Ramon Alessandrini run at people um, on that right-hand side, and he had success in it, and he scored a goal, and so that means that they game plan correctly for Minnesota, they knew what they want, and then he goes down. So again, it, it changes a lot of game plan. That was one. Uh, the other thing I have to highlight, which, by the way, is both a highlight of Minnesota's complete ineptitude on defense. Uh, in fact, they looked very Galaxy-esque in this particular play, uh, but it was Sebastian Legette's goal. Uh, a simple run, and, and something that doesn't always get highlighted, but a simple run by Dave Romney, an overlap. Uh, on the right-hand side, actually drew a defender away from Sebastian Legette, and the defender was uh, was so worried about Dave Romney's incredible offensive prowess, Kevin, uh, that he 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 switched too soon. Uh, actually, was switched so fast that Schuler, who was coming over to try to take Legette, never actually got anywhere near him. Legette stepped forward and was able to basically walk directly through the defense and score a goal. So I thought that was. Uh, that was pretty interesting as well, just to sort of highlight how little things can affect, uh, uh, you know, the game. And, and certainly, uh, Siggy Schmidt was critical of the of the second Minnesota goal, Kevin. A goal that, by the way, could have been offside. Don't know if it was. It was pretty close. Um, the guys on the field didn't have a feel for whether or not it was offside. In fact, none of them said that they saw it. And Siggy said, I would hope that VAR has a better angle than I do. Um, you know, whenever he was talking, I think about Zlatan's penalty kick. So I'm sure he's hoping that VAR has a better angle on Minnesota's possibly offside goal. I will tell you this once again, and everybody needs to learn this, and you need to teach your fellow fans that just because a referee, a center referee, doesn't go and look at a monitor doesn't mean VAR didn't look at the play. Um, and that goes specifically for the stoppage time penalty kick that may have been a penalty kick and might not have been a penalty kick on Zlatan Ibrahimovic. This was the play that saw Chris Pontius go cruising down to the uh, touchline, getting there just before the ball was about to go over the end line uh, and crossing it, and that ball rolling towards Zlatan Ibrahimovic, towards the middle, and as Zlatan went to do it, it looked like he was fouled and brought down in the box. Baldomero Torledo uh, looked at it and decided it wasn't a penalty, um, in terms of in the heat of the moment as the play was going, and I think that was a bold move on my part, on his part, because in my mind, Kevin, looking at it in real time looked like a clear and obvious penalty. However, you go back to the uh, to the replay, and it's one that you're a little less certain about. It certainly looks like Zlatan. Uh, I don't know why Zlatan would fall down in that position, Kevin, uh, especially whenever it looks like he's going to have a wide-open shot on goal uh, to possibly win the game. So I certainly question that, and the replays I've seen are certainly a little more inconclusive. But I believe that if Toledo called a penalty, uh, that VAR wouldn't have overturned it at all. And so, uh, quite honestly, you have to look at the uh, the attitude of that particular referee. And I'll say that on the night, it wasn't a, a particularly well-refereed game, but it was not the reason the LA Galaxy didn't win that game. 
You know, you, you, you talk about Zlatan laying down. Did you ever think maybe he was tired? You know, lions sleep like 19 hours a day. That, that's what I heard. So, that, yeah, that's yeah. true. You know, may, maybe that was it. But also you, uh, in that in that uh, section, you talked about Dave Romney's offensive prowess. This is a, a uh, Dave Romney's friend of the pod. This is a no Romney criticism zone. So <laughs> if that was a critical remark. That was, uh, I need you. I need you to redact that. I I think that Dave Romney also understands his significant offensive prowess. All right. I think that uh, Minnesota was. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why. I'm sure if you asked Dave Romney, he would also be uh, slightly. He would also question the the break that the Minnesota defender put on him. I mean, Romney goes down the right-hand side just to open space. You knew it was a little bit of a decoy run to try to open Sebastian Legette up. You saw it coming. It was telegraphed. Uh, it comes in. But that defender, and I, I think it might have been Miller. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly who it was. But he broke so hard for Dave Romney like Dave Romney was Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And he did it without uh, Schuler uh, from Minnesota coming over and covering uh, you know, Sebastian Legette and Legette could walk in. I mean, you know, if any Anybody gets credit for that goal. Seba certainly gets credit for for finishing it off. And again, his first goal since scoring against LAFC on 331. But good Lord, Dave Romney worried about that crossing ability and that offensive prowess there. I don't think you need to go to him that hard. Well, you know, Dave Romney is is still, I believe, the favorite going into the Corner of the Galaxy Invitational at the Putt-Putt Golf Tournament. Yeah, we, um, we're, I'm working on that. I've already asked people where the best mini golf courses in in the Southland are, all right? And nobody ever calls it the Southland except for weather forecasters, but I wanted to use it just once, so I could be I could be awesome. Well, you, we, you talked at the, at the uh, top of the podcast, and we've mentioned a few times since then, Ziggy's state of mind with these injuries. It was interesting today uh, at training on Monday— when he talked about the injuries and he said, as you mentioned, that you don't replace DPs, but he also said, we're in the final third of our season and we've got to take care of getting the needed points, and especially the points at home. This is a, a home game. And about the injuries, and I think this is a little bit where you sense the frustration with with Gio, um, you know, not being able to play consecutive games this season, where he said, I've learned not to expect anything uh, regarding the injury reports, I said I've learned not to expect anything. That way, you're not disappointed, or you're not, and you don't get too depressed. Right now, we're just waiting to hear. So, that's not probably uh, the most kind of optimistic words you'd want from your coach at this time of year. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to read between the lines for Siggy Schmidt, I think he's trying to tell everybody, don't get your hopes up that those guys are going to be in the lineup uh, anytime soon. Uh, I, I think for, for, for Giovanni Dos Santos, it seems less long-term, um, but certainly for Roman Alessandrini, if you're trying to predict the, the tarot cards here are turned over, it's, it's probably not good. Uh, we don't know that. We've been trying to find out. Um, we won't find out until tomorrow because the Galaxy won't, don't like to release, um, you know, don't like to release the, the information. Um, any the, information. I was going to say, Galaxy do not like to release any information. Most information. They, they especially injury information. They like it to go through Siggy Schmidt. So we're going to have to probably talk to Siggy in order to actually get that information. We know about the MRI. That's about as far as we can go. Uh, until yeah, we talk. I, I mean, really, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a font of information compared to the Galaxy. <laughs> Whether that information is true or not, of course, is is one of those things. But yes, I I, I would agree that they were they are rather tight lipped whenever it comes to this stuff. Um, all right, so yeah, that's so that's where we go. I mean, that's what you're looking at against Colorado, though, is you know who's going to be available, and I think you have to sort of write off most of those guys. I think Siggy Schmidt had considerable squad rotation looked at for this Colorado game. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Perry Kitchen sits again, Servando Carrasco comes in for Kitchen. Um, that's something that could probably still happen, but with the injuries they have now, 
I mean, I think you're looking at pressing these guys through and saying, I don't care that you're going to have to play three games in eight days. You're playing three games in eight days because we don't have the depth to be able to start some of these other guys and bring you in off the bench. I don't know. Remember, they tried the squad rotation in Colorado and it 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 didn't didn't work. work. No, it looked bad. By by the way, you know who's coming back for this game? First game at StubHub. Uh, Jack McBean. Jack McBean is coming back. Yes, the the youngest player ever to start for uh, the Galaxy in an MLS game, the youngest player ever to score. He did that when he was 16. He will be the only person in uniform on the field that played on the last three MLS Cup-winning teams, 2011, 2012, 2014. I think there are only three players still in the league that were members of all three of those teams, and I think that would be Sean Franklin. AJ Delagarza, right? Yeah, and I, I think uh, Brian Rowe may have been on uh, at least two of those teams. Yeah, I don't know if it goes that far back. I'm trying to think. I know AJ uh, Baggio wasn't for all of them. Um, I think it's just AJ and Sean and Jack McBean. That might be the that might be the three. Hmm, that's a good question. And, and Jack McBean is only 23. And do you know what? Um, as long as he's been around, and again, you know, a, a part of history with three MLS titles, youngest goal scorer, youngest player to start. That's a significant history. A local guy, homegrown player. Um, you know, he's only making 68000 this year with Colorado, and he's been around seven years. He's only 23. Uh, his dad told me he's had a 401k since he was 16, which is kind of a cool <laughs> thing. I don't, it doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of cool. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about uh, he's a professional athlete, you know, and he's been doing it for seven years. He's in eighth season now at the top level in the United States. Um, he's – Played in 18 games this year. Last year, he he played in 11 games, I believe. No, played in 14 games under Kurt. And then when Ziggy came in, he only played 39 minutes the rest of the season. But this season with Colorado, not doing a lot of scoring. Uh, he's been asked to do other things. He's played 18 games. He's set a career high for starts. He has two goals. He's played over nearly 800 minutes. So um, I'm hoping he gets a, a good uh, reaction, good uh, welcome back from the fans because I think he deserves it. Yeah, I think he will. I, I don't think there's any any animosity there. I don't think I don't think he wasted millions and millions of the galaxy's dollars or anything else uh, in that. So uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, you go through all these you know different iterations of of what this team has looked like, and certainly if you're just looking at from last year to this year, Kevin, and what a disaster last year was. We we agree that 2018 is a better year. Um, but it doesn't mean that the Galaxy still aren't, uh, you know, n- not very good in some areas. And, and the defense, again, is just the, the big thing that keeps popping up. And I asked the question to Siggy Schmidt, and I asked it to uh, Jorgen Shelvik as well. And I had to almost apologize for asking it in terms of, listen, I know I ask you this question, and we as reporters ask you this question every single game. But, you know, what's going on with the defense, and how can you fix it? And, you know, there's a lot of different things, and... and and he's he was talking about uh, the Galaxy defense, uh, Siggy Schmidt after the game against Minnesota, and he said, uh, "I thought in the first half we played well. They implemented things we have been talking about and working on. Speaking of the defense, he goes, I thought it was very good. In the second half, it comes down to individual mistakes again. It's like, do we double when we can double the guy on the cross? Can we take away the cutback and not the cross? I mean, we haven't done a good job blocking crosses. When you look at it today, they got in wide positions. I don't think we blocked very many of them. On the second one, did we step too high on the play earlier and we were late coming back?" Um, so again, it's, it's a lot of things that are continue to repeat itself, but I think ultimately it comes down to talent. Uh, but with 40 goals now, Kevin, the LA galaxy in 2018 
have allowed 40 goals. I went back over the history of the LA Galaxy since 1996. Um, and you can look at uh, a couple seasons where the Galaxy uh, didn't give up 40 goals. In fact, uh, if you, I think six of the last nine complete seasons, the Galaxy defenses gave up less than 40 goals. Uh, the only ones that sort of stick out are 2017, where, of course, they gave up 67 goals, uh, 2015, where they gave up 46 goals, and 2012, where they gave up 47 goals. Outside of that, starting back with 2009, um, there was a team did not give up more than 40 goals. So 40 goals with 10 games left. Uh, in order to surpass the worst defense in franchise history, last year, the 67 goals, they would have to average 2.7 goals per game, giving up 2.7 goals per game. I put that out on Twitter, and everybody says, it sounds like a challenge the Galaxy are up to. Uh, well, and Ziggy talked about this a little bit at training today. He said he's he's not used to coaching a team that concedes that many goals. He said he's always been thought of at least been told by people that he's a defensive coach and so um you know he takes a little bit of pride in that but the other point that you made is really interesting because when you do talk to players and coaches about the defensive problems they do say um it's the same thing over and over again um and it, it, does it come down to talent I, I don't know um we do know that they spent more money on their defenders than any other team in the league but there's people back there I mean, Ashley Cole has played at the top levels, um, uh, you know, in, in world soccer. He's He has made more appearances for the English national team at, at left back than anyone in history. There's a lot of experience back there. Th there's not a lot of rookies back there. These are guys, you know, Siani played at the top levels in Europe. And I know he's not a fan favorite, but the fact is he did play at those levels when he was a younger player. So he has the knowledge and the experience. You would think these guys would be able to figure this out. Why is it the same thing over and over and over again? Um, you would understand if they got beat in different ways and it was a fluke or there was an own goal or whatever. You can kind of stomach that. But the fact that they're doing the same thing uh, week in and week out, it didn't work last week. It's not going to work this week. Why can't they repair that? That just seems to me to be a, a, a huge deficiency that they can't figure this out. Yeah, and, and, you know, Ashley Cole after the Orlando game was speechless when asked about this. Uh, again, it, it becomes a broken record. I had to say it. It sounds like a broken record, Siggy. You know, but what can you do about the defense? You know, Jorgen, you know, what can you guys say? And Jorgen uh, famously dropped the F-bomb uh, on uh, on the reporters talking about uh, uh, screwing up. The Galaxy changed the quote to screwing up, uh, but there was an F-bomb in there instead of screwing up. All right, so you can you can figure that one out. Um it's, it's one of these things that I, I know the guys are tired. I know the guys are mentally tired. Jorgen said as much he's mentally tired of the same things happening over and over again. He goes, we have to get better. We have to train, you know, the tactically. We have to understand what each other is doing. Um, I said this on Thursday night, and certainly as a, a as a little bit of a recap of what happened during the transfer window, Kevin, um, you know, I talked about the LA Galaxy, and you already said it, you know, trying to make deals, and we know they were trying to make deals. We know uh, Siggy said there were lots of lopsided trades out there uh, that the Galaxy weren't going to do because it didn't make sense for them. And we also know that the Galaxy are looking with an eye towards 2019 when they have some flexibility with some of the players uh, that are currently on the roster that perhaps didn't need to be on the roster. And certainly Michael Ciani, as I'll call him, a panic buy um, with uh, with the Galaxy losing Yellow Van Damme. They brought in Michael Ciani in sort of a panic situation. Uh, that's that's one of those players who I think they're trying to move. But, you know, these guys are, are, are frustrated. They're mentally tired from this stuff, Kevin. And it's just, it's something that is not going to get fixed. I would love to say if the, if the Galaxy could just stop conceding one, on average, one goal a game, um, if they could reduce it by one goal, they would be a significant 
um, improvement, and they would win a whole bunch of games going down the stretch with 10 games remaining. You know, Siggy wants 15 points out of those 10 games, the 1.5 average that they're currently sit at right now. I think that's a great idea, but they're going to have some really tough games. The soft part of the schedule is right now, and this Galaxy defense can't even handle the most benign MLS teams. Um, and if it's a formation issue, then Siggy has to figure out how to tweak and, and merge that formation. But I'll tell you right now, anytime the Galaxy have gone to a four-man back line, and granted, without Felcher, um, that's been probably more difficult than they want it to be. But anytime they've gone to a four-man back line, it's hurt the offense. Um, and it certainly is something that perhaps they look at again. But they're going to need to figure something out. They need to figure out the best way for this Galaxy because the Galaxy offense can score goals. We know that. That's that's not the, the surprise. The Galaxy defense is the big problem, and nobody has answers. And Siggy Schmidt... Basically admitting to that whenever he says, you know, I don't think I've ever had a team that's conceded this many goals. Um, and in Galaxy history, that sort of pans out in, in terms of what the final uh, tally on goals is going to be. Well, and, and again, you know, at, at home against Minnesota, a team that does better offensively than defensively, you know, they've given up more goals than anyone in MLS since the end of the league started last season. But again, giving up two leads, uh, you know, the second one very late at home, you're supposed to close games out at home. And I, I know the Galaxy have a better home record this year than they did last year. It would be hard to have a worse one. But still, they just don't have – they don't appear to have that killer instinct. It is not Fortress StubHub that it used to be. I mean, you know, and I, Bruce is gone. We know that. He's been gone for a while. But when you look at the glory years of, of the team under Bruce Arena and at StubHub – all they needed was one goal, and it was over. Uh, as you mentioned, you know they they rarely gave gave up goals at all, especially at home. This team does not have that sort of um, uh, reputation. And and we talked to, or I wrote about the Galaxy coming back a little bit under Ziggy and how Dominic Kinnear felt like it feels like the old Galaxy teams that you know other teams fear us. Well, I I don't maybe that fear is fading a little bit. A team like Minnesota comes back twice to tie the game on the road in StubHub, um, that's not anything that a lot of opponents are going to be afraid of. Yeah, that, that's that's the truth. Siggy uh, on the defensive focus, um, this I, I thought was interesting. Uh, we are talking about the repetitive mistakes, but Siggy's saying it's not just the repetitive mistakes, and certainly he's talked about it being that there are some things that they keep doing over and over again. Uh, but he goes in, he says, it's not just repetitive mistakes. Like in Colorado, when we lost in Colorado, we put ourselves in defensive problems because we didn't hold on to the ball, because we gave the ball away. So sometimes people blame the defense for that, but it's really we didn't play well offensively that hurt us defensively, and we have talked about that so many times on this podcast that the Galaxy's inability to maintain possession and really the offense's best way to play is very direct, very quick. Get the ball to Zlatan, let him distribute it out, let him score from there, however you want to do it, but it's quick and it's not possession-based. So Siggy says we've got to maintain possession. We did a better job of that and we made it easier for us to defend, but as I said, I think the number one thing for us, and, and now's the time for this to kick into gear, everybody's played with each other long enough, everybody knows each other, everybody's familiar with the league at this stage. At this stage. So now it's just a matter of them being tougher in those duels. So he he wants the defense to be tougher. He wants them to, to win the ball. He wants them to fight for position. And it's something that we haven't seen. The, the defense has been soft this year, and we know they've been soft. So uh, you saw it in Minnesota. You saw it in Colorado. You've seen it multiple times throughout this season that this 
LA Galaxy defense is soft, and the LA Galaxy midfield is porous and soft down the middle a lot of times as well. And so whatever they do against Colorado, who is on a two-game winning streak, we should point out. Uh, it started with when they beat the Galaxy, and then they beat San Jose. So they're on a two-game winning streak, and that accounts for a third of their total wins they have so far in Major League Soccer in 2018. They have six wins now, and only one win on the road, one seven and two. Now, if you remember, Minnesota also only had one win on the road. I think they were one nine and zero. Yeah, um, one nine and zero. Yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, that that, you know, that the, didn't help. The, the, another thing with the Galaxy not being able to hold the lead, you're right. It's a possession thing. They they do make quick passes. They do move forward very quickly. And so when they have a lead, they do need to change the way they play and get a little bit more possession oriented, especially at home. The step up center field is the widest field in the league. You know, dribble the ball out to the corner. You know, dribble it along the the, the touchline. Keep it away from the middle of the field. Um, make it difficult for the opponents to get it back. Uh, the Galaxy just seem to not either haven't figured that out or don't know how to do it. Maybe Siggy needs to bring the lines in. You could bring the lines in at StubHub Center a little bit. Now, I think it hurts them on the offensive side because I know the Galaxy like to to use and expose those wings on the outside, whether it's Ima Boateng or Ramon Alessandrini or, or Chris Pontius, but I wouldn't be... It hurts the defense on, in this particular case because the Galaxy get beat around the edges a lot, and those edges are, are wider on a on a, a StubHub Center field than they would be like in Portland or in Seattle or in other places. I wonder if it's time to bring those in. I wonder if that helps, you know, an aging and a slowing back line. I wonder if you make the grass a little bit longer um, because that'll allow the ball to not move as quickly. You know, I mean, there's things you can do as a home field that can they can help and, and be to your advantage. Uh, especially in baseball, I know they like leave the infield grass a little bit longer whenever it was uh, some older players in the infield, that type of thing. So you could do those things that, that can help. But, I mean, the bottom line is the Galaxy are short on defense. They knew they were. Anybody complaining about the Galaxy not making a move don't understand what the constraints were on the Galaxy. And, the, by the way, I completely agree with you if you say those constraints are problems that the Galaxy put themselves into. That is correct. So you can still have that opinion. You just can't have the opinion that the Galaxy should have traded everybody for some defensive help, but really defensive help might not have been what you needed. It wasn't going to solve all the problems there. So, uh, well, I mean, yeah. when you look at that, you look at they they did sell their um, uh, their spot in the allocation order to Portland, allowing Portland to bring uh, Viafania back to MLS, an outside back, with the U.S. national team, the position the Galaxy really needed help at. And, you know, people were asking, why not just keep that allocation pick and bring Viafania back to the step-up center? He played there for Chivas. He's from Anaheim. Why not do that? Well, because the Galaxy didn't have any flexibility with roster spots, um, with DP spots, with money. It just wasn't there. And the Galaxy did try to make some trades. Um, my understanding is they talked to Vancouver. They talked to – we're getting close to a deal with the Red Bulls, and they just didn't have the flexibility – to get it done and you know that goes back to what are you getting out of your dps because they're using dp spots and they're using a lot of money the galaxy spending 12 million dollars on dps the flexibility just was not there and uh yeah you're right the galaxy knew that going into this they had talked about when they signed uh jonathan dos santos last year chris klein talked about you know if we jonathan dos santos is making two million that he's undervalued if we need a dp spot we can move somebody well they did try to move at least one Dos Santos. So I don't know about Alessandrini, 
but they got no takers. So that flexibility they thought they had just completely disappeared. Yeah, it's gone. So uh, th- so that's what you get. And that's and that's how these things are in Major League Soccer with the tight salary caps, with the targeted allocation money the Galaxy didn't have. Didn't have the general allocation money to do it. And the money they did get for that Portland spot. Again, if they say no, and we covered this on the uh, Thursday night podcast, but if the Galaxy would have said, no, we don't want to make a deal with Portland, it doesn't mean that Portland can't bring Villafania back in. In fact, what the league would do would be like, okay, LA Galaxy, then you can still keep the number one allocation spot, but Portland gets to make a deal with the number two because you can't sign Villafania. If they had the ability to do that, Kevin, if they had the ability to sign Villafania, they could have blocked that from happening. Uh, we know that, but that's not what they had. They didn't have that flexibility, and that's the way. It goes. Not not only Villafania, but but Villafania as well. Both well, how of those guys. any of the oh, so now you're giving me listen. That's right, exactly. I, I did get a note, by the way, and sometimes I share these with you or not. But the note basically said, "Will Kevin Baxter ever be able to pronounce Zlatan Ibrahimovic correctly?" And I said, "No." That is nope, never it's happening. Not going to happen. Never no, going to happen. No, I understand. All right. So, um, but now, I got Viafania down. That, that one, that, that one, you're solid with. You feeling yes. good? Okay, good. Glad to hear it. Uh, some um, LA Galaxy news, or at least some former LA Galaxy news. Uh, former Galaxy midfielder Rafa Garcia actually signed with Las Vegas Lights um, over there in, uh, I believe it's USL. Um, so if it is, you, it yeah, is USL. Yeah. So if you want to go see Freddie Adu, Freddie Adu plays for Las Vegas and, and, and llamas don't forget about the llamas. Um, so yeah, if you wanted to see, uh, Rafa Garcia, uh, you could of course head over to uh, Las Vegas and see him play for the Las Vegas lights for the remainder of this season. That seems like that's going to happen. Uh, other, anything else to do in Vegas? Uh, I mean, if you're going to make that drive, anything else to do there? No, I've heard it's a very boring place. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't roll think. up the sidewalks at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. It's a, it's does. It's no fun. No fun. Um, in the middle of the desert, just a hole in the desert. Uh, okay. League wide. Let's talk a little bit. Let's, let's have a little fun with this. At least, uh, Wayne Rooney made a, what people are calling the most spectacular play in MLS this season. Uh, it was in a tie game with Orlando city and Ben Olsen thought it would be cool if he took a goalkeeper Alstead uh, 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 up and actually put him in on a corner kick. Uh, the ball got sent back out, um, and then w- Will Johnson from Orlando basically was dribbling at a wide-open goal down the left-hand side, and only one player, Kevin, only one player with the speed and the will and the willingness to uh, to stop the attack made that long, long journey all the way from, uh, from one side of the field basically to the other, and that was Wayne Rooney who put a great tackle on Will Johnson and then turned around ran up field and served in a ball that was hit headed in by uh, Luciano Acosta um, who I believe will win player of the week this week um, I, I voted for him so uh, he had a hat trick he had a hat trick and he was the only player to have a hat trick and he did it in sort of a fun spectacular fashion even if he did trip an Orlando player in that entire play which was which was behind the play and nobody saw and isn't reviewable by VAR even though in my world uh, it should be reviewed by VAR and I would take that goal away in a heartbeat because it was the stupidest trip I've ever seen in my entire life. I almost didn't vote for him for player of the week because of that trip. Um, but eventually, uh, uh, I think my my head leveled out a little bit. I had my iced tea and my bagel in the in the morning and I was I felt a lot better. So, uh, but here's the problem. People are comparing that to Zlatan Ibrahimovic's uh, first goal with the LA Galaxy against LAFC in the first derby ever uh, between uh, the first El Trafico between the two clubs coming in um, and what happened. And I will say this, um, anybody, almost any MLS player, and and I think there's a fairly wide swath of MLS players, a couple come to mind uh, very easily, including AJ De La Garza, could have made the play that Wayne Rooney made. All right, now... 
I think Wayne Rooney's a great player. I think he's going to do amazing for DC United. I think all that stuff. But anybody could have made that play. They could have tracked back and they could have tackled Will Johnson. Will Johnson isn't exactly uh, the best player in the world, and he showed it by not getting a shot off before Wayne Rooney closed down that angle. Um, so anybody could have done it. Uh, but he didn't score a goal from you know 45 yards out on one of his you know second or third touch of the game after all these things. He didn't he didn't chip the keeper from way far out. All right, so anybody who's trying to compare these two things is caught up in a little bit of a recency bias. It's an exciting play, but in no way, shape, or form is it better or more technical than the play that Zlatan Ibrahimovic had. And counting the 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 atmosphere and sort of the uh, the the surroundings that it happened in as well. This was LA Galaxy versus LAFC in their first ever meeting. The two teams didn't like each other from the very beginning. Ashley Cole dumped somebody on their butt in the very first minute of that game. The Galaxy were down 3-0 and came back to win 4-3, thanks in part to the ridiculous goal from Zlatan Ibrahimovic and a header to win it. All right, so Wayne Rooney coming in here and, and trying to say that Wayne Rooney's uh, assist is anything more than just a really good hustle play is just so far out of left field for me. I just I want to I want to make everybody stop and just understand what they said. It was exciting, but DC Orlando is not LA Galaxy versus LAFC. Well, the other thing is is that that player you're talking about, the Zlatan guy, his name I can't say. Yeah, he'd only been on the in MLS less than ten minutes. You know, Wayne Rooney's played what a half dozen games already. Another thing about that game though. Um, Afterwards, our our good friend of the pod, Dom Dwyer, who gets mentioned a lot here. Yes, there was a big uh, kerfuffle in the Orlando wait, dressing room. Wait, wait a minute, Dom, Dom Dwyer. What was Sporting Kansas City doing? I know in an Orlando I, game. I know. I, I I I was baffled as well. It might have been just like a a loan, you know, one one game loan. But yeah. Dom Dwyer was maybe he was just visiting the locker room. Could have been. Could have been. He was in in the Orlando City locker room after the game. There were voices raised. There was pushing. There was shouting. I uh, don't know if any punches were thrown, but there was a wild scene in the Orlando City dressing room after that game against uh, DC United, and Dom Dwyer apparently stepped forward and was trying to be the peacemaker. At least one player was actually physically shoved out of the dressing room. Uh, don't know why, but that's something uh, worth watching. This is a team that, you know, uh, Orlando City scored three goals in their game here and lost. They In their next game, they scored three goals, and I think there was a draw or loss. Um, it's getting to be a very testy environment there in Orlando, a team that got off to a very good start this year. But if you want to talk about great goals, I, I just want to mention two that uh, people should go ahead and Google, and I think they'll be mesmerized by both. When he talked about Zlatan's uh, 498 goals now for club and country, they were we asked him what he thought was his best goal, and he referenced a goal in November 2012. It was against the English national team. It was a friendly. It was in Sweden. It, it's a remarkable kick. You can see it's on YouTube. Zlatan with his back to the goal outside the area, so it's more than 30 yards on the far right side, a bicycle kick into the goal. It, it's just an amazing, amazing goal, and I can see why Zlatan, who scored a lot of high real, highlight real goals, in, including the one against LAFC, uh, why he picks that as his favorite. By the way, he did talk about, too, that he doesn't plan goal celebrations. They just happen. And I know of now three instances where he took his jersey off in his goal celebration. And he said he doesn't do that. He doesn't plan to do that. But I've seen him do it twice with the Galaxy. He did it in the first goal against LAFC, the long ball you talked about. He did it in the goal against Orlando City, the one that completed the hat trick and won the game. And then he did it in that goal against England where he took his uh, jersey off and, and uh, twirled it around his head. The other goal, I think, the, the greatest goal that I have personally seen in person, not on TV, but live, was in the... the 2011 Gold Cup final at the Rose Bowl, and it was Gio, our good friend Gio Dos Santos, 
scoring against Tim Howard. That's another one uh, worth looking at. Just an amazing goal uh, uh, just, uh, and a, a class in dribbling to start the playoff. And then a long kick across the front of the goal that gets just over the head of a defender. I believe it was Jonathan Spector. Uh, without a, you know, inches to spare, one inch to get over the defender's head and one inch to get under the crossbar. Uh, and from the angle and the distance that that Gio shot, it was amazing. Check out those two goals. Yeah, Giovanni Dos Santos, by the way, has been uh, making millions of dollars off that goal ever since it went in. Because oh, it's anytime, an amazing goal. It's, it's incredible. Anytime anybody ever talks about Giovanni Dos Santos and his potential, that goal is brought up. I know I've done it on this podcast so many times, but that is why Giovanni Dos Santos has been getting paid millions and millions of dollars by the LA Galaxy is because of that goal. Because outside of that goal, there isn't a ton to rely on to say that Giovanni no. Dos Santos is this some great ridiculously good player but he had he we know he has the skills kevin well i mean he went to uh barcelona to train with the the youth academy the same one that produced leo messi he went there when he was 15 um you know he's been with some of the bigger clubs in europe he's played in the premier league he's played in the liga because of plays like that he does that once every three or four years and people go oh my god if, if we could only bottle this if we could only get this on a consistent basis this guy would be all world and that's what everyone's waiting for. Everyone thinks that they can be the one to solve this problem, whether it's commitment or dedication or fitness or endurance or whatever it is. Yeah, whatever um, it is. Yeah, Gio's got it in him. He just someone needs to get it out of him on a consistent basis. And every club he's played for, they thought they had the answer, and no one's really figured it out yet. Well, and he's back on the sidelines. Well, again. one of the things that uh, certainly was interesting about the Saturday night game uh, was uh, was the inclusion of the Thundersticks, Kevin. I don't know if you love the Thundersticks as much as I love the Thundersticks. People were comparing them to Vuvuzelas, and I would I would I disagree. That's lies. That's that's half truths. That's not that's that's just abominations. Quite honestly, you compare Thundersticks to uh, to the uh, the Vuvuzela. Vuvuzelas are annoying. Thundersticks bring the thunder, Kevin. And uh, the Thundersticks were loud and in charge at StubHub Center on Saturday evening, getting the entire stadium involved in multiple chants from the supporter sections. That includes Angel City Brigade, Galaxians, and of course, uh, LA Riot Squad. But one of the reasons I think the Thundersticks were so effective was because the LA Galaxy did in fact sanction the supporter groups for that game and another home game as well. So I would imagine that Tuesday night, this Tuesday game that's coming up against Colorado, uh, is also going to be a game where they are sanctioned. That means that uh, no flags, no banners, no drums, no sort of uh, of, of, of amplified voices in any terms of uh, you know bullhorns or anything like that. So all the sound that's coming from the supporters groups is coming from the supporters groups chanting and singing, but again, no drums, no banners, no flags, none of that stuff. And this was for the incident at Bank of California Stadium. And it's for the two home games uh, that are coming up and again I believe the second one will be Tuesday night um, as they host Colorado but it's also for every single road game from here on out so the Galaxy will not be able to take drums banners or flags for, with them with for the rest of the season those supporters groups alright well, before you get away from that, yeah. it's interesting that it's a two game suspension because that means that they'll be able to do anything they want for the LAFC game which is smart on the Galaxy's part, you don't want to have your Crestown rival come in and, and not have it be a home field advantage for your team. Um, they're being sanctioned because uh, I, I don't know that anyone has fixed blame for any of this, but uh, a number of seats, several dozen seats were destroyed in the LA Galaxy Reuter section at Bank of California Stadium. Um, and so that's punishment for that. And, and, and it's understandable that they wouldn't be able to, uh, that they would be sanctioned in road games, I think. But you know, it, there were two sides to that whole battle of the bank. Yes, um, yes, there was. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, LAFC fans were 
were actually videotaped in, uh, in a number of confrontations. And so uh, knowing that we were going to talk about this today, I checked in with LAFC. They were not able to give me an exact number, but they told me somewhere in the 10 to 20 range, uh, 10 people to 20 people, um, LAFC fans that were able to be identified, including uh, one of the people that were involved in the incident with the styrofoam cooler that was destroyed that I think a lot of people have seen. Anyway, those people were uh, were sanctioned by LAFC as well, that uh, that they had their ticket rights. Uh, some of them cannot come back uh, to the stadium again this season. Uh, some of them, I think, have been sanctioned for a couple of games. But LAFC took... Uh, did take some action against fans that they were able to identify from the video and and uh, they will not be allowed in the stadium for uh, at least several games, if not for the rest of the season. You know, in, in my opinion, this all stems and starts from LAFC's ticket policy on, on visiting fans. Uh, this all comes down to the 100 tickets or the, I think, 109 tickets ends up being what it totally is uh, at Bank of California Stadium given to the away section of fans. And that, by the way, Kevin rightly pointed out before while we were talking about this before we even started that, you know, that's LAFC's visiting fan policy that they're only going to do it. So they ticked off people like Seattle and Portland uh, and a bunch of other clubs whenever they said they're only going to give away 100 tickets for these games in order for the supporters section. Well, you know, the Galaxy responded to the 100 tickets, Kevin, in the first El Trafico. That wasn't a Galaxy set the bar of 100 tickets um, in the El Trafico and that LAFC matched it. LAFC said ahead of time they were only going to give out uh, 100 tickets for these away games. Uh, and so the Galaxy decided to respond, and I think that's a mistake on the Galaxy's part, only because... You know, most of the time what you do is you give an away section a certain amount of tickets uh, and then you are able to police that away section in one area. What ends up happening for these LA, LAFC games is you get a supporter section that fills up very quickly because there's only 100 tickets uh, and then you have everybody else scattered throughout the rest of the stadium. And according to multiple reports that I saw from, from Galaxy fans is that there weren't even enough seats for the number of tickets that apparently were sold in the section or that the people that wanted to sit in that section that one supporter section, and that ended up spreading out LA Galaxy fans all over LAFC, um, you know, all over Bank of California Stadium. So this is really coming down to sort of, you know, safety issues and safety protocols. And I think that LAFC was caught a little unaware uh, with the amount of Galaxy fans that traveled to Bank of California Stadium. And I think it's bad policy on everybody's part to continue to abide by these hundred tickets. Uh, give the people a section to stand in, then fence it off in terms of with security, and then protect that away section. Um, because there certainly sounds like there was a whole bunch of stuff coming in, Kevin, that said that, you know, the section that the Galaxy supporters were up in that corner was not being policed very fairly or very well, and that LAFC fans were coming into the section starting fights, and then LA Galaxy fans were getting kicked out of it. It just, all of that stuff, and we saw the video, you and I talked about this video, of, you know, a security guard uh, with LAFC um, at Bank of California Stadium asking a guy why he was wearing a Galaxy jersey and telling him to take it off. Well, I, you know, things went foobar at that game from the very start, um, and they, they the LAFC did tell me they doubled security for that game. The problem is they had those rent guards out there, uh, the guys in the in the uh, red polo shirts, and you see them sometimes in yellow polo shirts, um, they were there, but they weren't told what to expect. The idea that you would say to a fan, hey, don't wear the shirt of the visiting team here, what'd you expect? Well, what'd you expect at a soccer match? That's exactly what's going to happen. And you're right about the visitor ticket policy. Uh, MLS says that the, there is a minimum number of tickets that are supposed to be made available to visiting fans, and it is around 100, maybe 109, but it's somewhere around 100. Nobody in the league has ever paid attention to that, has ever adhered to that policy. 
they give multiple hundreds. Uh, I think the Galaxy generally gives around 300 and makes 326 tickets. That number, for whatever reason, sticks in my mind. I think that might be the size of a of a section of the right. grandstand. So they they normally make over 300 tickets available, and most other teams do too, um, to visiting fans for a number of different reasons. Just to be good guys, you know, to let the visiting to, to create some atmosphere in the stadium. There's a number of different reasons you do that. LAFC decided not to do that, and I can only uh, guess at why. But my guess is that they wanted to sell a lot of season tickets. It was very important to them. They did have a very long season ticket uh, wait list that people had to pay to get on. So they knew there were a lot of people that wanted season tickets, and LAFC is very, um, very into creating the atmosphere. They have that 30, 32, uh, uh, 52 section, um, you know, down in in the north end. They wanted to create this atmosphere. They wanted it to be loud. They wanted to create a huge home field advantage, and they knew that they could only do that if they had a huge number of home fans. So they limited the amount of tickets that away fans could purchase. That rippled through the rest of the league from the very start. I know that when LAFC played Seattle and opened the season in Seattle, all of a sudden they had told Seattle, look, when you guys come down here for our opener, where you play the home opener, uh, your fans can have 100 tickets. And Seattle said, what? And so when LAFC came up there for the opening game, the supporter section for LAFC was much more than 100 tickets, but they were way up in the top corner. They couldn't couldn't have given them worse seats for that game. Uh, and I think that was Seattle's answer to you. you you're going to limit our seats. Well, we'll give you seats, but you're not going to be able to see the game from where you are. And and I do think other teams throughout the league are, are following through. And you do, but you do see LAFC fans at away games. And what they do is the same thing you talked about: is they can't get supporter section tickets because they sell out too quickly. So they buy them on the secondary market. And you're right; you have loud, uh, you know, enthusiastic fans sitting in the middle of a section dominated by hometown fans. Um, and it, it can turn violent. And I think that is part of the reason what happened, uh, you know, at the first LAFC game. We got another one coming up back at StubHub. And, uh, and anyone who said that they were surprised by what happened at the Bank of California Stadium, probably uh, a little bit naive. No one can use that as an excuse not being prepared this time because we saw what happened. Yeah. There were some incidents at StubHub the first time. Uh, people better be ready this time. And I and I don't mean the fans. I mean the security people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, all this isn't isn't to sit here and, and you know, just drill in on all these different policies and, and try to figure this stuff out. My, my biggest takeaway from all this was more of, uh, of appreciation for the supporters groups and how loud they were on Saturday night because uh, really lit up the whole stadium and quite honestly having everybody with the thunder sticks and getting involved in multiple chants from both ACB and LA Riot Squad. I can tell you that the stadium was plenty loud and I think and I told turned around and told the LA Galaxy PR staff I go wow it's so loud in here you guys should probably just use the thunder sticks all the time um, and they laughed a little bit at that but that what it, that's what it was I, well, I yeah Mrs. Mrs. Panda was at the game she was sitting as you know in the corner of the Galaxy luxury suite and uh, she left her thunder sticks at the stadium did not bring them home so I don't know whether that was because her ears were bleeding or she didn't want to carry him out to the car. I don't know what the deal was, but I asked her about the thunder sticks, and she did not bring hers out of the stadium with her. You you got no thunder sticks then. I I think that's horrible no for you. Sticks. I would like to say that I did reach out to the LA Galaxy and ask for a comment on uh you know the sanctions for the supporters groups. I I wanted to get a comment on the record from them. Uh, this is the comment I received back, and this is a direct quote. Uh, we have not released statements previously when it came to supporter sanctions. That's it. No way. The Galaxy did not cooperate with releasing information in a timely and transparent manner. I 
I'm shocked, shocked and appalled that the galaxy did not release transparent and timely information about a, a matter of concern to both fans and the team. I will t- uh, never heard of such a thing. I, I will tell you this, Kevin. Uh, it was one of the quickest responses I've ever got. In fact, it only took me about 24 hours, uh, maybe even less than 24 hours. So we did we did get that. It was a fast. It was just a non-response. I, that's disappointing. I would like to just understand where they were coming from on this. And nothing was released to the press. So trying to get the information from the club is you would think that that would be something that you would be able to do. Um, apparently not. I know the supporters groups obviously got sent out uh, information about why they were um, why they were suspended or why they had sanctions against them, um, but that was not communicated to us. And, you know, that's that's life. It's not a big deal in terms of that, but it, it just, to me, this doesn't look good. Why don't you just tell me what you did and then we can discuss it and we can have a, an honest conversation about it. As it is now, we're sort of left with just sort of being like, okay, you don't want to tell us why you did it, which makes it seem like you did it for some reason that's not just above board and perfectly fine. And and let's, let's be clear. The reason that we talk about whether or not we're getting timely information and, and accurate information from the galaxy isn't because... Because we personally take exception to it, although sometimes we do. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I consider my role in, in the media, I'm a conduit to the fans. You know, if, if there are 50,000 fans that want to go to a game, or in the case of StubHub Center, 24,000, not every one of those people can can call StubHub and ask, hey, is Alessandrini going to play? But I can call, and I can ask, and then I can put that on social media or put it in the paper uh, or mention it on the podcast, and then everyone is up to date. They know which players are going to play. They know the team policy and regarding certain things. When the team does not release that information, um, the whole idea of, they said uh, Allison Drini had an MRI on Monday morning, but Monday afternoon, they wouldn't tell us the results of that MRI. Why not? You know the results. You know, it's, so it's not like we don't have the results. They just simply don't want to share it. And so they don't want to share it with me or with you, but what that really means is they don't want to share it with the fans. Please come buy our tickets. Please come to our stadium. Please pay $20 for parking. Please buy our overpriced food and beer, and please buy season tickets next year. But if you want anything from us, information about who might play in the game or or who might be injured or who we're going to trade for, uh, we're not going to tell you. And so when they don't tell me, what they're really saying is they don't really care about telling the fans. And and that's that's where my uh, disappointment with this comes. It's it's not whether I need to know about Ramon Alessandrini. I'm going to the game anyways. It's whether the fans know uh you know, what the team is doing and what the team is thinking and what their philosophy is. Yeah, and, and that's sort of the, I mean, that's always been the goal of this podcast was to be sort of a conduit to the fans. And that's one of the reasons that bring Kevin on, uh, you know, obviously with the LA Times background uh, and, and backing uh, in terms of, you know, Kevin has the LA Times associated with his name, which means that people usually answer his questions well before they answer my questions, which is understandable. I get it. Uh, but, you know, our job here is to bring you information. And sometimes we can't do that because it's just simply not given to us. So uh, it doesn't mean we don't stop trying. It doesn't mean that we don't get into arguments about it all the time. Uh, but that's something that we're trying to do and continue to do. And we just like more information on this. And, you know, certainly uh, we can get it from fans and we can get it from supporters groups and we can go and get it from, you know, the Twitter accounts there. But uh, you would expect it to come from the team. And in this case, it didn't happen. All right. I think that about does it. LA Galaxy face off against uh, the Colorado Rapids again, August 14th. This game, this is one of those podcasts, Kevin, that is that is like completely irrelevant in about, you know, 36 hours. Um, but it's it's one of Most those. Most of them are completely irrelevant. In <laughs> yeah. Less than thirty six hours. I was going to say usually as soon as we release them, they're they're irrelevant. They're irrelevant while we record them. 
Um, but as it is, LA Galaxy face off against Colorado Rapids. They, the second time they face the Rapids in about 10 days, uh, Tuesday, August 14th. It's a 7.30 p.m. kickoff time. Game was originally scheduled for August 29th, and they have moved it to this Tuesday, August the 14th. So uh, make sure that you have the tickets for the 29th with you if you're coming to the game. Uh, all those fun things. If you're going to watch it on TV, it's Spectrum Sportsnet and Spectrum Deportes. Again, Colorado Rapids at StubHub Center on Tuesday. All right, Kevin. I believe this may be the last game on Spectrum Deportes, by the way. The, the uh, Spectrum is start, it's stopping its Spanish-language feed. You will be able to get it on SAP if you watch the English-language feed, but there will not be a separate Spanish-language channel on Spectrum. I believe this is the last Galaxy game for that. Interesting. Didn't know that. All right. So everybody has now aware of that. Uh, again, sort of uh, an eroding of that particular uh, uh, television partnership, in my opinion. But, you know, that's how that's how it goes. Whenever the Galaxy were so bad last year, uh, and whenever uh, Time Warner, the original owner of that contract, spent so much money uh, for for the right $55 million. $55 million for both English and Spanish for the Galaxy for 10 years. And that was uh, one of the reasons Tim Laiwiki was really pushing for Giovanni Dos Santos back in the day, that he wanted that Spanish language station and he wanted uh, a player to sort of build that partnership around. And Gio came came to the Galaxy about midway through that, and, and the Spectrum Deportes never really got traction, not just for the Galaxy. It, it also, uh, Lakers and Sparks, I believe, were on there, and, and they didn't even get any viewers for the Lakers. So uh, I don't think Gio, you, I, you, you can blame Gio for a lot of things. Uh, but you can't blame them for Spectrum Deportes uh, not surviving. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. All right, Kevin, anything else uh, you want to get to before we're out of here? Zlatan Ibrahimovic. No, Ibrahimovic at the okay, end. Okay, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Close. I think you're good. If you keep saying it, I used to say stuff like this in my car all the time, just whenever I'd be driving. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, although I've known how to say that one. Uh, Jorge, Jorge Viafania. Viafania. I'll work on that. See, I already have that one. You just had to tell me it was it, how to say it once. I'll, I'll nail that one. No problems. All right. Uh, all right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter, you, of course, can find him on Twitter at kbaxter11. Head on over to the LA Times for all of his coverage of soccer in Southern California and, of course, around the world as he covers World Cup and men's national team, Mexican national team, all those fun things. So please follow him over, latimes.com. Uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at jguessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and, of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com where you can still get your Panda and Pato in the Morning t-shirts. Uh, just days left on that now, so hurry up, get over there, order them before they're gone forever. $20. Head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com, click on the shop button, and you'll find the link for those right there. All right, uh, LA Galaxy versus Colorado Rapids on Tuesday. Saturday, it's a game against Seattle Sounders in Seattle. We'll have a Thursday podcast to get you ready for that one. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Gessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Arajo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.